0: Red salute. Welcome to the Manifestering Podcast. If you want to support this project, which allows me more time to produce and release content, you can do so on my website, manifesteringpodcast.com. There's a link to my Patreon, as well as a donation button that allows you to just donate through the site itself. You can also do so on my anchor.fm page. Just search for Manifestering Podcast. Thanks so much for helping me keep revolutionary media alive. Chapter 3. Policy and Guidelines 3.1. Strategic Approach in Urban Work 3.1.1. Role of Urban Work Within the Political Strategy As the 9th Congress says, Working class leadership is the indispensable condition for the new democratic revolution in India the working class exercises its leadership in the revolution through its direct participation. Apart from rising under the leadership of the Communist Party in the overall struggle for democracy and liberation, and thereby uniting all other sections of the people in anti-imperialist and anti-feudal struggles, the working class organizes the agrarian revolution by sending its advanced detachment to the rural areas. Page thirty six and Thus, Being the centers of concentration of the industrial proletariat, urban areas play an important part within the political strategy of the new democratic revolution. It is the task of the party in the urban areas to mobilize and organize the proletariat in performing its crucial leadership role. Urban work thus means firstly, forming the closest possible links with the working class and, through the class struggle, establishing the party as a proletarian vanguard. Further, it means the mobilization and unification of all other sections under proletarian leadership and the struggle to achieve the tasks of the revolution. 3.1.2. Role of Urban Work Within the Military Strategy The specific characteristics of revolutionary war in India, quote, determine the military strategy to be one of protracted people's war of establishing revolutionary base areas first in the countryside, where the enemy is militarily weak, and then to gradually surround and capture the cities, which are the bastions of the enemy forces, Thus it is clear that the armed struggle and the movement in the rural areas will play the primary role, and the work in the cities will play a secondary role, complementary to the rural work. However, while giving first priority to the rural work, we must also give due importance to the urban struggle. Without a strong urban revolutionary movement, the ongoing people's war faces difficulties. Further, without the participation of the urban masses, it is impossible to achieve countrywide victory. As Comrade Mao says, The final objective of the revolution is the capture of the cities, the enemy's main bases, and this objective cannot be achieved without adequate work in the cities, unquote. Mao Selected Works, volume two, page 317. Thus, the correct dialectical relationship has to be maintained between the development of the urban movement and the development of the People's War. We should, by building up a strong urban movement, ensure that the urban masses contribute to creating the conditions that will obtain success for the armed struggle in the countryside. As we have seen in the earlier section, India has a larger proportion of the population in urban areas and a much larger working class than at the time of the Chinese Revolution. This too increases the relative importance of urban work in the particular conditions of the Indian Revolution. 3.1.3 Long-Term Approach The cities and big industrial centers are the strongholds of reaction where the enemy is the most powerful. In these places, the police army, other state organs, and other forces of counter-revolution are concentrated and are in a dominant position from which they can suppress the people's forces. At the same time, our party's work and organization is extremely weak and generally cannot achieve a dominant position until the final stages of the people's war. It is this objective reality that determines our policy towards work in the urban areas. In such a situation where the enemy is much stronger, we cannot have a short-term approach of direct confrontation in order to achieve, quote, quick results, unquote. Rather, we should have a long-term approach. The task of the party is to win over the masses, including the vast majority of the workers, and to build up the enormous strength of the working class in preparation for the decisive struggle in the future. Now is not the time for the final struggle between the revolution and counter-revolution, and we should therefore avoid engaging the enemy in such a fight while the conditions are not in our favor. This means that we should act chiefly on the defensive and not on the offensive. Our policy should be one of protecting, preserving, consolidating, and expanding the party forces while mobilizing and preparing the broad urban masses for revolutionary struggle." As Comrade Mao, while outlining the tasks of the party in the urban and other white areas dominated by the reactionaries, explained, the Communist Party must not be impetuous and adventurous in its propaganda and organizational work. It must have well selected cadres working underground, must accumulate strength, and bide its time there. In leading the people in struggle against the enemy, the party must adopt the tactics of advancing step by step slowly and surely, keeping to the principle of waging struggles on just grounds, to our advantage, and with restraint, in making use of such open forms of activity as are permitted by law, decree, and social custom. Empty clamor and reckless action can never lead to success. Mao, Selected Works, Volume 2, page 318. In order to mobilize the broadest possible sections in struggle— it is absolutely essential that we utilize all possible open and legal opportunities for work and not reject the use of legality. Broad mass organizations help the party to have wide contact with masses so that it can work undercover for a long time and accumulate strength. While exploring the open opportunities, it is essential that we organize people into secret organizations too. Broad, open and legal forms of organizing of the masses have, however, have to be combined with the strictest methods of secrecy, especially in regards to the link between the open and underground organization. All precautions should be taken to protect the identity of our comrades in the open organizations, and contacts with the underground organization should be maintained at the minimum. At the same time, particular care should be taken to ensure that the underground structures do not get exposed and smashed. For this, a long-term approach and patience are absolutely essential. We should be even ready to sacrifice the short-term requirements of doing a particular job well in order to avoid endangering the long-term existence and functioning of the underground structure. 3.2 Main Objectives of Our Urban Work Work in the cities and towns involve a number of tasks. All these tasks can, however combined under three broad heads or objectives, they are as follows. One, mobilize and organize the basic masses and build the party on that basis. This is the main activity of the party. It is the party's task to organize the working class, as well as other classes and sections like the semi-proletariat, students, middle class employees, intellectuals, etc. It also has the task of dealing with the problems of special social groups like women, Dalits, and religious minorities and mobilizing them for the revolutionary movement. It is on this basis that the masses are politicized and the advanced sections consolidated into the party. 2. Build the United Front, UF This involves the task of unifying the working class, building worker-peasant solidarity and alliance, uniting with other classes in the cities, building the fronts against globalization, against Hindu fascism, against repression, etc. This is a very important aspect of the work of the party in the city. Three, military tasks. While the PGA and PLA in the countryside perform the main military tasks, the urban movement also performs tasks complementary to the rural armed struggle. These involve sending cadre to the countryside, infiltration of enemy ranks, organizing in key industries, sabotage actions in coordination with the rural armed struggle, logistical support, etc. Of the above three, the first task of organizing the basic masses is fundamental and primary. Without widely mobilizing the masses, it is not possible to perform any of the other tasks, such as building of the UF, and performing the military tasks. 3.3 Mass mobilization and party building. We need to build the broadest mass base by building various types of mass organizations, such as open revolutionary mass organizations, legal democratic organizations, secret mass organizations, cover organizations, etc. Depending upon the situation, different types of organization become primary for that period. But keeping in mind long-term approach, we need to build several types of mass organizations simultaneously. Thus, the general principle in regards to urban forms of organization is that the mass organization should be as wide as possible. As the Indian political situation is uneven, we need to explore the right combination of various types of mass organizations. While there is no possibility to form open revolutionary mass organizations in AP, there are several states in which still such a possibility still exists. Thus, we may organize the people in several forms, depending on the situation, but party building should always be done with utmost secrecy. As the experience of work in the city of Shanghai, where the white terror was the most extreme during the Chinese Revolution shows, quote, the party organization should be secret, the more secret, the better. Whereas a mass organization should be open, the wider the better. This principle could be creatively applied to our conditions. Those organizations, which openly propagate party politics, should generally function secretly. Those organizations functioning openly and legally generally cannot openly identify with the party and should work under some cover with a limited program. Correctly coordinating between illegal and legal structures, we should have an approach of step by step raising the forms of struggle and preparing the masses to stand up against the might of the state. 3.3.1 Types of Mass Organizations Our POR identifies three types of mass organizations. 1. Secret Revolutionary Mass Organizations. 2 open and semi-open revolutionary mass organizations, and three, open legal mass organizations that are not directly linked to the party. Urban work within the third type of organizations can further be subdivided into three broad categories. A, fractional work, B, party-formed cover organizations, and C, legal democratic organizations. 3.3.1.1. Secret Revolutionary Mass Organizations These organizations remain strictly underground and propagate the party's revolutionary line among the masses, rousing them for armed struggle. They openly call upon the masses to participate in the People's War, propagate the central tasks drawn up by the party at any given time, secretly organize the masses into struggles and directly serve as the base for recruitment for the party, and the People's War. These mass organizations are built clandestinely and conduct secret propaganda. They are built around a clear-cut and explicit revolutionary program. Acceptance of the aims of the revolution and willingness to work secretly are thus minimum criteria for membership. In our party, such mass organizations were not formed as a plan, They emerged in and around the struggle areas when the open revolutionary mass organizations were forced to go underground under severe repression. Later, they were consciously formed even in areas with relatively less repression. Today, with the imposition of an all-India ban under POTA, mass organizations in many more areas will be built underground. Many of these organizations are primarily functioning in urban areas. Though such secret organizations may be formed in any section of the masses, we have so far, in the urban areas, mainly set them up among the youth, students, and workers. In urban areas, these secret organizations perform the important task of propagating the party line among various sections of the masses. They are the main vehicles of revolutionary propaganda. Due to the dominant position of the enemy in the cities, The important task of rousing the masses through revolutionary propaganda must be performed through a secret structure the secret structure of the party however cannot be the only medium to propagate revolutionary politics this would limit the extent and depth of the impact of our propaganda it is therefore necessary to develop separate secret organizational structures among various sections of the people which will carry the message of the party's calls to those sections in particular, as well to other sections of the broad masses. This is therefore the principal task of the secret revolutionary mass organizations in the urban areas. It is the task of the secret units and committees to plan the forms and methods of propagating the party line, the dissemination of party propaganda, and the formulation and propagation of the revolutionary standpoint on various issues of the day, particularly the issues affecting the section which they are organizing. These can be done through secret posters, voices, pamphlets, cassettes, booklets, and other forms of propaganda. It can be done through personal contact by the organization members. It can be done through planned dramatic actions like attacks on imperialist, comprador and other ruling class targets, etc. Through sustained and effective propaganda and planned actions, The secret revolutionary mass organization must aim to reach a position where it influences, guides, and even determines the actions and decisions of the non-party organizations and the masses in its field of operation. There could be some limitations for the secret mass organizations in organizing and mobilizing the masses in struggle in a big way. But there are occasions wherein secret mass organizations, though their actual organization is limited and their influence is significant, could lead important struggles. Secret forms of struggle can and must be used. Sika-Saw is an example for that. Secret revolutionary mass organizations may not rally masses in a wide and broad way as that of an open revolutionary mass organization. When an open revolutionary mass organization is forced to go underground, While changing the work methods from open methods to secret methods by sending exposed cadre to the UG or the underground, etc., wherever possible, unexposed portion of the organization's forces should be shifted to work in other types of organizations, such as cover organizations, fractional work, legal democratic organizations, and so on. Secret organizations are not the organs for leading and directing the legal organizations that are not directly linked to the party. This will create an unnecessary semi-party form of a layer between the party and such organizations. We should thus also generally avoid forming units of the secret organization within the open organization to lead the open bodies. The party fractions and cells functioning in the area should do this leadership. The secret organization performs its revolutionary role by giving calls and conducting propaganda to guide and push the open organizations in the correct direction. However, this too should be avoided in areas where the field of fractional or cover work is too small or where the open revolutionary propaganda may lead to exposure that we are doing such work in that area. If it is necessary for the secret organization members to work actively within the open organization, they will work as ordinary open members of the organization while taking special care to safeguard their political identity. It is better to avoid combining the tasks of the secret organization activist and open organization leader wherever possible different comrades should be assigned these separate tasks. Thus, the secret mass organization should serve as a vehicle of revolutionary party propaganda in the urban areas. It is the form of organization that is suited for implementing this important task. 3.3.1.2 open revolutionary mass organizations. These are open and semi-open mass organizations which openly propagate the politics of the new democratic revolution and prepare the people for armed struggle. These organizations make use of the available legal opportunities to carry on revolutionary propaganda and agitation openly and try to mobilize the anti-imperialist, anti-feudal forces as widely as possible. Our party has formed and run such open revolutionary mass organizations since the 70s, particularly in the period following the lifting of the emergency in 1977. These open organizations were then the main organs of mass mobilization, both in the rural and urban areas. They were banners under which thousands and lakhs were mobilized, particularly in the struggle of areas of AP and Bihar. These mobilizations reached their peak in the, quote, open, unquote, periods up to 1986 and during 1991 in AP. They played the role of attracting the broad masses towards the revolution. However, with the onset of repression, most of these organizations were denied any legal opportunities and were forced to go underground. Direct bans were imposed in AP and Bihar. Whereas serious restrictions and surveillance were placed on the organizations in other states. Thus, the scope of such organizations has drastically reduced with the rise in repression on our party throughout the country. Today, only very small open bodies exist in some cities. As is clear from experience, this form of organization can only be used when the ruling classes, due to various reasons, cannot or do not bring repression. This being the case, there is limited scope for this type of organization in the urban areas. Since the enemy generally has the strong upper hand in the urban areas, there are few situations where the repressions cannot be brought about. Thus as the people's war sharpens, the opening for legal opportunities is either because of the weakness of the ruling classes due to internal contradictions, or due to a plan of the state to keep watch on our forces or due to some other temporary reason. Whatever be the reason, we should however evaluate the situation and try to make the best use of the legal opportunities available, while keeping in mind the long-term perspective. This means that if we are to get the opportunity to mobilize the masses in large numbers under our direct banner, we should make use of the chance. At the same time, we should expose only a small section of our forces and make sure that the majority of our cadre remain hidden from enemy surveillance. We should on no account indulge in small demonstrations where all of our activities are easily identified and even filmed on video for easy targeting in the future. We should understand that the period of legal opportunities for open revolutionary organizations will generally be short and we should make the best use of the period for long-term gains. While attempting to mobilize the largest numbers of the masses and struggle on the openly revolutionary platform of the open mass organization, the Party should concentrate on strengthening and consolidating the elements from these struggles who will serve the long-term interests of the protracted People's War. Thus, we must be clear that the open revolutionary mass organization cannot be a permanent form of mass organization in the urban areas. It can and must be utilized in the periods and situations of legal opportunities, and we must be ever alert to make use of such opportunities whenever they arise. However, While doing so, we must be ever-conscious of the long-term interests of the party and the class struggle and make sure that they do not suffer in order to obtain some short-term gains. 3.3.1.3 Fractional Work Here the party works through the numerous traditional mass organizations that operate in the urban areas. These traditional mass organizations are the organizations normally set up by the masses fight for their sectional interests or otherwise fulfill their needs. The party, through its members or other activists, penetrates such organizations without exposing any links with the party. Through the activities of the organization, the masses, while being mobilized for their sectional interests, are attempted to be drawn towards the revolution. This method of organizing, if properly conducted, offers the best opportunity for cover work For a long period of time it is therefore indispensable in areas of severe repression however it can and should be used in all urban areas because it also provides excellent mass forums for approaching large sections of the people and if we do not disclose links with the party we can function for long periods without suffering enemy repression work of this nature can be carried out in various types of organizations the best organizations are those which are more oriented to struggle, like trade unions, slum and other locality based organizations, youth organizations, unemployed organizations, student associations and unions, women's organizations, commuter associations, etc. Besides, there are also organizations that are welfare oriented, community based, or are self help organizations, like workers' cooperatives cultural organizations, sports clubs and gymnasiums, libraries, Bajan Mandals, non-governmental welfare organizations, women's welfare organizations, caste-based and nationality-based welfare organizations, minorities' bodies, etc. There are also many organizations which emerge on a particular issue for a particular period or for a particular festival, etc., Most of these organizations emerge naturally due to the needs of the masses. However, many of them will have either direct affiliations or indirect links with ruling class parties and organizations. This, however, does not need to affect our plan to work among them at the lower levels. Our main considerations while deciding to work in a particular organization are, firstly, whether the masses are or can be mobilized through that organization, and secondly, whether the situation of the organization is such that there is a possibility to politically influence the masses and draw some elements toward the party. Sometimes there are various mass organizations of different affiliations operating in the same area, e.g. multiple trade unions within a single factory. At such time, we may have to decide which organization to work within. This decision again should be broadly according to the conditions given above. We may even decide to work in more than one organization if it suits our plan for the area. However, our general approach would be to oppose the splitting of the unity of the masses and to stand for the unity of all representative mass organizations working in a particular area. Once we have decided to do fractional work within an organization, we should strive to achieve a leading position in it. This means we should be in a position to influence and guide the decisions of the organization. If it is necessary to take over office bearers' posts in order to achieve this influence, then we should make attempts to do so. This, however, does not mean that we should always push for PMs to be an office bearers' post. If our plans can be fulfilled through non-PMs or even through leaders belonging to other parties, it is best. This will not only better maintain our cover, but will also leave our PMs free to perform other tasks. However, if there is no other alternative, and it is the will of the majority, we should not have any ban on even PMs taking up such posts. Whether we take up office bearers' posts or not, the important point in fractional work is the skillful exposure of the reactionaries and reformists leading or participating within these organizations. This exposure is essential to draw the masses away from their influence. This must, however, be done without exposing ourselves to the enemy. The forms of exposure will thus differ depending on the concrete situation. In vast areas where risk of direct exposure of our fractional work activists is low, we can use propaganda by the secret revolutionary mass organization or even direct calls by the party. In smaller areas like a single factory or slum, we may have to mainly or only use word of mouth propaganda. Sometimes we can create artificial banners like, quote, angry workers, unquote, quote, concerned slum dwellers, unquote, etc., for doing our propaganda. Very often we may have to use a combination of various methods. Whatever is the method, it should be applied carefully, skillfully, and consistently. It should ensure that the masses are drawn away from the influence of reactionaries and reformists. It should also at the same time ensure that we do not get prematurely exposed and face losses. There are two types of deviations in fractional work. One is to sink to the level of the reactionaries and reformists leading the organization and refuse to do any political work in the name of having a long-term approach and preventing exposure. The other is to get rapidly exposed due to our desire to achieve, quote, quick results, unquote. Both deviations should be avoided. The main problem in our fractional work so far, however, has been our lack of a long-term approach. Our mistakes range from excessive revolutionary rhetoric to simple errors like singing party songs or distributing party literature without ascertaining the reliability of those whom we are giving the literature to. Though much experience exists in the international communist movement, and though we ourselves have gained many lessons in practice, we have not yet successfully been able to internalize and implement these lessons in our day-to-day activity. Though we have recognized this error in our documents, we have yet to educate all levels to bring this concretely into practice. The in-depth participation of the leadership is necessary for this. The crucial point is to achieve the correct balance of making the fullest use of the legal opportunities without crossing the boundaries set by social customs, habits, existing forms of struggle, etc. Our speech and action should suit the normal functioning of the activists and masses in the particular area. This will of course vary from situation to situation. While it may not be abnormal to resort to Gerau among many sections of industrial workers, we have to restrict to black badges and DARNAs for bank employees. While militant anti-dowry and anti-caste struggles may be normal in some areas and states, social norms in other states or areas may be such that they would draw immediate suspicion if we tried to engage in such struggles through cover organizations. We would probably have to restrict ourselves to propaganda in such situations. Thus, we should plan our activities and our issues in forms of struggle, according to the concrete situation of the class struggle, so that our party identity is not quickly suspected and exposed. We should, of course, not reduce ourselves to mere tales of the masses. We should be skillful enough to remain one step ahead of the masses without getting exposed. We should use opportunities to push the struggle to the maximum socially acceptable limits while rising the political consciousness of the masses above their previous level. We should thus, through a long-term approach, continuously advance the movement. Once we have implemented the correct approach and methods in our fractional work, it can become a powerful tool in our urban work. This was widely used form of organizing in urban work in the Chinese Revolution. 3.3.1.4, party formed cover mass organizations it sometimes becomes necessary for us to form mass organizations directly under cover without disclosing their link to the party. Mostly, such a need arises due to the absence of any other suitable mass organization within which we can do fractional work. An example is the case of unorganized workers, where the established trade unions have a limited presence, and we often have no option but to set up our own trade union organization to take up the unorganized workers' demands. This, however, is not the only area where we may form cover organizations. In fact, cover organizations can be of as many varied types as the organizations for fractional work we have mentioned in the earlier section. They can range from trade union-type struggle organizations to welfare-type organizations to issue-based organizations, etc. The methods of mass work, too, are not very different from the areas of fractional work. The main difference is, of course, that we do not have the task of exposure, as when working within the reactionary and reformist organizations. Wherever we form such cover organizations, our program will be of a limited nature, similar to other such organizations working in the area. While utilizing these cover organizations to mobilize the masses on their specific demands, we will try to draw the best elements into the party. We should be careful, especially in repression areas, not to attract the attention of the state by far exceeding the socially acceptable limits of militancy for that area. For example, if the normal weapons used in the area are knives and swords, we should not resort to firearms, or we should not normally resort to annihilations in a new area where there has not been any history of such actions. We have had some experience of building cover organizations now since the last few years. We have committed various mistakes, mentioned in our POR, leading to the quick exposure of our forces in many areas. While learning from these mistakes, we should inculcate the correct long-term approach to preserve such organizations for a long period of time, while making them strong bastions of mass struggle. 3.3.1.5 Legal Democratic Organizations These are the organizations formed on an explicit political basis with some or all aspects of anti-imperialist, anti-feudal program, and with a program of action and forms of struggle that broadly fall within a legal framework. Some such organizations may be those catering to a particular section like trade unions, student bodies, women's fronts, caste abolition organizations, nationality organizations, writers' associations, lawyers' organizations, teachers' associations, cultural bodies, etc. Others may be formed with issue-oriented programs focusing on a particular core questions like contract labor system, unemployment and job losses, caste atrocities, communalism, imperialist culture, violence on women, saffronization of education, corruption, regional backwardness and statehood, etc. The scope of the legal democratic organization is very wide, extending to the broad coalitions and alliances formed against repression, globalization, Hindutva, and right up to the all-encompassing bodies formed with the banners of anti-capitalism or people's struggles. Such organizations can be formed at various levels. Town-city level, district level, state level, regional level, all-India level, or even at the international level. Our party has been initiating or participating in the formation of such organizations only over the last few years. Our experience thus has been limited. But rather than experience, the problem has more been the lack of clear understanding regarding the concept, role, and importance to the legal democratic organization. This has led to spontaneity, trial and error approach, and mistakes in practice. This has resulted in our organizations remaining within a narrow base of support. It has prevented us from actually implementing in practice the full scope of the legal democratic organizations. It has prevented us from making the fullest use of legal opportunities for the widest mobilization of the masses. Actually, the legal democratic organizations serve as important means to the party's attempts at the political mobilization of the urban masses. This is because repression normally prevents the open revolutionary mass organizations from functioning. The legal democratic movement is thus the arena where the masses can participate in thousands and lakhs and gain political experience. It thus has a very important role in the revolution, complementary to the armed struggle in the countryside. Revolutionaries in other countries, particularly the Philippines, have participated within and utilize the legal democratic movement very effectively. In India, too, there is excellent scope to participate within, build, promote, and develop legal democratic organizations and movement to advance the interests of the revolution. The masses suffering under the yoke of imperialism and feudalism regularly participate in countless small or big, militant, day-to-day struggles. Innumerable grassroot level organizations and leaders with a restricted perspective and functioning within a legal framework lead these. It is these struggles and organizations that provide the concrete material basis for setting up broad, democratic organizations. And it is through the legal democratic movement that these struggles are brought out of their narrow confines, are unified, and gain political direction. Thus, it is necessary that our party in the urban areas should give considerable importance to the task of participating in and building up a strong and broad legal democratic movement. We should join, form, or join in the formation of legal democratic organizations of various types, sectional, issue-oriented, or broad-based, depending on necessity and feasibility. This can be at any level ranging from town-area level to the all-India international level. While taking up this task and allocating forces for it, however, we must also guard against a tendency to overemphasize one-sidedly the sweeping mass mobilizations and struggles at the cost of the central tasks of consolidation and party building. The legal democratic movement itself, too, can grow from strength to strength and remain on the correct political course only if we concentrate sufficiently and simultaneously on developing the secret party core within it. Thus, while giving due importance to the legal movement, we should take care to maintain the correct dialectical balance between the needs and importance of the legal and illegal work, the open and the secret organization. Maintaining relations between the open and secret also means strict adherence to tech precautions. This means protecting the party leadership from exposure and danger, as well as protecting the legal leadership from being exposed as belonging to the party. Meetings between open and secret leadership should as far as possible be avoided, and guidance should normally be through written communication and other means which should be done by protecting the party link. When a meeting has to take place, proper care should be taken that the legal comrades are not allowed. Similarly, airs like meeting public figures in front of entire squads, thus directly exposing their links, should be avoided. Generally, We should avoid exposing our party's influence within a particular organization, as well as the identity of our PMs and other comrades close to us. However, as its activities expand and intensify, we cannot prevent the enemy from growing suspicious, launching surveillance and indulging in harassment. However, this does not mean that they will be able to easily launch full-scale repression and bring a ban. As long as the organization adheres to the principles of legal democratic functioning, And as long as it has a broad enough base of support, it will be difficult for the state to close it down. The crucial central point in this, however, is the broadness of the organization. If we set up a narrow organization limited only to our party forces, we cannot expect it to continue for long even if we use all tech precautions to conceal our identity. On the other hand, if broad sections of the masses are rallied and if a wide range of non-party forces is united, the enemy will not be in such an easy position to suppress fully. Even if they launch attacks, they risk the possibility of still wider protests and support. However, in order to achieve broad unity, it is necessary for us to have such an approach in whatever legal democratic effort we participate in. We should broaden our efforts far beyond the revolutionary camp and attempt to involve and unite with a wide spectrum of struggling forces on various fronts. A minimum political understanding for any organization should be on the basis for our unification efforts. Our basic condition should be serious adherence to a minimum political program. We should, in fact, target such organizations and individuals that are seriously committed to struggle and try to involve them in any effort at broad unity. If we have such an approach and are able to allocate suitable forces, we will definitely soon be able to achieve much success. It is through such efforts that we will be able to see the legal democratic movement emerge as a powerful urban force, complementing the rural armed struggle and helping to advance the revolution throughout the country.